Come on, great to see you this morning, man. Come on, let's get into this. I'm excited to be able to minister this morning and just preach what's in my heart. And I love that we start our Christmas series going into this week, next week, and then Christmas Eve. And just uh, his name is Jesus. That's the big theme for this year is his name is Jesus. And today, this is my hope today. But I hope that we dig into scripture. We're going to go back and forth, Old Testament, New Testament. We're going to be in Micah 5. You can turn there now. We're going to be in Micah 5, and then we're going to be in Luke 2, and then we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 7, and then we're going to be in Luke 1, and then we're going to go into Isaiah 53, and then we're going to be in Matthew 1. We're going to be all over the place, proving just three points, which is one big point that you can trust the word. That's today. I want you to walk out of this place today. If you're here, if you're online, I want you to say, I can trust the word. Because when you know I can trust the word, that changes everything. That changes everything. When you are convinced by evidence of God's word is truth. When you are convinced, and how are we convinced? Yes, we're convinced by faith, but we are convinced by God saying, this is going to happen, and it's seven years later when it happens exactly as God prophesied it was gonna happen. God is in charge. We're gonna see that in three different ways today. We're gonna see the plan, uh, we're gonna see the person, and we're gonna see the purpose, right? The plan that God had for Christmas, we're going to see the person that God had for Christmas, and we're going to see the purpose that God had for Christmas uh, declared through his son, Jesus. Like, we are excited that we're here. I'm pumped that you're with us. Man, hang with us for this message, and I want you to walk out of this place going, ah, I believe this. I'm once again convinced that this is true, right? And when you, when you can understand the Bible is true, when you read it, it can sink into your spirit, right? I was raised in an amazing home. And I got to be honest with you, man. I was raised in an amazing home. It's always, it's always Jesus. It's always the Bible. So I, I never went through a season where I was like, ah, I don't really know if this is true. I, I personally have never gone through that season. Many do. Many who don't know Jesus, don't, they, they want to question the word. They want to forget what's right directly in front of them. They want to forget historical fact. And they just want to choose themselves to just stiff arm truth. Um, but I was raised in a family that just, it was always Bible, it was always Jesus, it was always truth, and I never came to a place personally to say, ah, I don't really know if I believe that. No, I, I've always believed this. Um, not always walked in obedience to it, but I've always believed it, and, and there's a difference, right? So today, man, this is my hope, is that we can break down the plan that was prophesied 700 years before it happened to the T, the person prophesied 700 years before the person happened exact, and the purpose prophesied 700 years before the reason that he came fulfilled uh, magnificently by our King and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's the plan today. And when you look at this and say, what is the probability? Like, what are the odds that when somebody says something 700 years later, it comes through perfectly. It comes through perfectly. But I guess you have to see the very one that, that's saying this. So as you are in uh, Micah chapter 5, I just want to read just for a moment before we get into this from Isaiah 44, 46, and 48. I want you to hear what God himself says about, about who he is. And when he says something, you can bank on it. That's the big deal today. When God says you can have peace, 
I want to bank on it that I can have peace in the midst of chaos. A big piece to the Christmas story is this word called peace. Jesus Christ prophesied to be the Prince of Peace, right? There, there is so much to what it means in the world that is chaotic, in life that can be filled with anxiety and stress, and in a nation that's upside down and sideways right now, and we can look at things in our lives and go, it's just crazy everywhere. But a big idea is if I know Jesus, the Bible says, wait a minute, I can be calm. I can, I can be at this beautiful place called peace. If the Bible says that, then I want to be able to believe that. And our hope today is that whatever you're going through, no matter where you're at today, you can look at Scripture and say, no, I know that's true. No, I know that's true. I believe that. I trust that's true. That has to be true because the Bible's true, right? And this is what, this is what God Almighty says, Isaiah 44, verse 6. It says this, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. There is no God besides me. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it and declare it. Yes, let him recount it to me in order from the time that I established the ancient nations. This is what he says. And let them declare it to them, the things that are coming and the events that are going to take place. Well, I'm going to read that again. And let them declare to them the things that are coming, things that we don't know, right? And the events that are going to take place. God says, listen, I have the ability to tell you things that haven't happened yet, but exactly how they're going to happen. That's God who knows all things, right? That's the God that we serve. Um, Isaiah 46 says this, verse 9. Remember the former things past, for I am God, there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times, things which have not yet been done. Again, God says, listen, I'm going to tell you things. I know the end from the beginning. I know it all. And God says, I'm going to let you know things that haven't happened yet, but I'm going to tell you about them. This is God, right? He's the only one that can declare the future 100% accuracy, right? And then chapter 48 says this, uh, verse 5, Therefore I declared to them, to you long ago, before they took place, I proclaimed them to you. This is all God speaking through the prophet Isaiah, and he makes it very clear. No one's like me. I'm only God. No one compares to me. Nobody can do what I do. I let people know what's going to happen before it happens. Nobody. There's been some good guesses. There's been people maybe 50% of the time, maybe 60% of the time, but there is nobody but God 100% of the time that is completely and perfectly accurate on what's about to happen. When I say what's about to happen, we're going to look at something that is 700 years, 700 years where God declared something. And it took 700 years to see it in fulfillment, perfect fulfillment to God's declared word 700 years before that. So when you look at this, you're like, okay, like what are the probability? How do I know that the Bible is true? Because God says, listen, I'm going to tell you something and it's going to happen. And you can declare that the word is true. The word is true. So when you look even through the Christmas story, and a lot of this, a lot of this comes through uh, as messianic prophecies. Messianic prophecies are prophecies that took place uh, on behalf of Jesus, right? These are things that were foretold about Jesus that has happened perfectly, right? The next one to happen, just so you know, 
is the second coming. Is Jesus coming? I believe in the rapture. I believe Jesus could come any moment. I think all have been fulfilled for his great return. And when that happens, if you know Jesus, you are up. I believe in the rapture. I plan on going home and then coming back in seven years and, and coming with him at the true second coming to see what that, I'm not going to get into all that theology, but I believe this. If I believe everything that I'm going to say today, and I want you to believe that the next thing that has been prophesied is that Jesus Christ is going to come and Jesus Christ is going to return. And when you're looking for that, you know it's going to happen. How do I know it's going to happen? Because I can base off the history of everything that God has said to 100% accuracy has taken place. That's incredible. That's incredible. Right? There is a book written called Science Speaks. A gentleman named Peter Stoner. Kind of a funny name if you ask me, but it's just, you know... I don't know if that means anything to a name, but Peter Stoner uh, and a guy named Robert Newsom wrote in a book called Science Speaks. And Peter Stoner was a professor um, at Westmont College, and he did this huge, deep study. You can look this up. It's a well-known study of over 600 students. They went deep into what is the probability? What is the probability if you look at Scripture and you see these prophecies that have come true? And listen, there's over 300 messianic prophecies. There's about 60 that are kind of big ones. And he took eight, just eight, eight prophecies and did this huge calculation backed by another science organization. And he said, listen, this is the deal. If only eight of these predictions were to come true, 700 years later and then beyond, if only eight out of the 300, if only eight out of the big 60, if you only take eight, in 100% accuracy, it is the probability that you would take the full state of Texas, take silver coins, $1 silver coins, stack them two feet high over the whole state of Texas, blindfold somebody in Dallas, and let them just walk through the state, and, and you're going to mark one coin. Out of all of those coins, you mark one coin, and the probability of anything happening is him finding that one coin through the whole state of Texas stacked two feet high. He's like, the reality is this. The Bible's true. Proven by God, saying, I'm the one who declares the end from the beginning. I'm the one who can tell you what's going to happen and it's 100% accuracy. The odds are I can believe this book. I can believe this is truth. That's like me saying, okay, in 2056, 33 years from now, the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to draft a gentleman named Captain Crunch. Hasn't even been born yet, right? He, the Steelers are going to draft Captain Crunch, and they're going to draft him from Houghton University football team. If you're from Houghton University, you realize we don't even have a football team. No, something crazy would have to happen in the next 33 years for Houghton to have a class act football team where Captain Crunch is now the quarterback, and we, uh, in the seventh round of the draft, pick up Captain Crunch, and then Captain Crunch takes us to 17 and zero, like it's only been happened once. This is amazing. And then we go to the Super Bowl and crush the Buffalo Bills 49 to zero. And you're like, okay, wait a minute, Sean, that can't happen because the Steelers and the Bills are both in the AFC. Well, the Bills said, oh, we need to go to a very weak conference in order to win anything. So we're going to go to the NFC and then maybe we can make the Super Bowl. And in that year that they go to the NFC, they play the Steelers and the Steelers crush them 49 to zero because Captain Crunch had lights out, rookie 
rookie year like no one has ever had. Like if I were to declare that to you today and it actually took place, you'd be like, wow, that's, that's unpredictable. <laughs> Go back to Texas. <laughs> but you realize when God says something and God predicts something, it's not just a, a, a lucky charms prediction. It's not, well, I hope it happens. You want proof that the Bible is true. You look at what God said. And you look at the fulfillment of what God said 700 years later. So church, we look at the reality of the plan. And I love this because there's just so much that, that beautifully surrounds the Christmas story, right? And man, I hope that this is a good season for you. I know sometimes it can be a difficult season. I know it can be at times hard for some. It can be truly special for others, for those with kids and with those who just are in a great season of Christmas and they love this time of year. And I hope, I hope that it's a good season for you. Man, I hope that you can look at this season and say, man, I'm excited for Christmas. I'm excited for the depth of Christmas. I'm excited about Jesus in Christmas. I'm excited about my family in Christmas. I want you to be excited about church in Christmas. This is an amazing season for church. It's an amazing season for us. I want you to be excited about next week. And I want you to be excited about Christmas Eve. We have a lot to look forward to as a church, even in this season. But man, I love that just to look at the story and just say, Oh, that's true. Like this really happened. There's so much that surrounds this story that you have to look at it and read it and be like, wow. Like, yeah, that happened. Like that really, like this, this whole thing, amazing. This really happened. These are real people. Mary, a very real teenager. Joseph, a very real dude, loved and cared for his wife-to-be, was super juiced about maybe like being betrothed and being engaged, one day being married. Like She's super excited about this young woman named Mary, and they're just going to live their quiet little lives in Nazareth, and they're just going to be this carpenter, and he was a man who actually used wood or actually used stone. We don't know exactly which one. Both were prominent as a carpenter. They did things out of stone. They did things out of wood. So you got this cute little family so excited just to live their lives and then 700 years before this God said things are going to be different for this family there's no time with God God knew Joseph was going to be before the foundations of the world God knew Mary was going to be before the foundations of the world and here you've got this cozy little soon-to-be family, soon-to-be husband and wife, living in their little house, doing their little job and doing their little career and doing their little trade of being a carpenter and just living their merry little life. But what they didn't know is 700 years before this event, God said, I've got a different plan for you. So what does that mean for us right off the bat? Can you trust that God knows the plan he has for you? Can you trust that? Mary and Joseph had no clue. Like, I can't tell you what God has for me. 
I know where I'm at. I know what I love doing. I know where God has called me. I know I'm at smack in the middle of God's purpose for my life right now. I have no idea what God has for me in 20 years. I want to be right here. I believe I'm going to be right here. I'm going to be preaching when I'm 73. I want to be right here seeing what God has done in this region. God has a plan for me, and I know that. And it may be different than what it looks right now. I hope not. I love what we're doing. This church is amazing. These people are amazing. You are great. I love this place. Murray and Joseph were just in their scene, and they were just doing what they were doing. And all of a sudden, the plan that God had for them 700 years ago starts to get the wheels turning, and things start happening that you read, and you're like, oh, what was she thinking? What was he thinking? And we look at this, and number one is truly the plan. The plan was this little town, Bethlehem, that was in no place from nowhere. And the plan that there was going to be a child that was going to be born. Bethlehem existed. Children and, and children being born every day, nothing, nothing special there until you put it 700 years ahead in the context of this amazing, beautiful Christmas story that Jesus came through a virgin woman. Uh, their home was Nazareth, but he was actually born 70 miles away from their home in a place called Bethlehem in a crazy story of how that even unpacked. And you look at this in Micah 5. Here's the, here's the plan. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. Your, your, your tiny little spot. Your tiny little spot. Your speck. From you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His going forth. Watch this now. Get this. His going forth are from long ago. From the days of eternity. Listen. I love where the Old Testament declares that Jesus has always been. As this is being penned, Jesus is. It's not like Jesus started in the manger. That's not where he started. Jesus is eternal. Jesus has always been. And when you try to break down that, which is, this is one of those things going, ah, I got to put this thing together. Like, I got I to gotta say, okay, I don't even really understand it, but I have to believe it because I know the word is true. There is this one who is God, who is Jesus, who's always been, who left heaven, put himself in bodily form through, through the Virgin Mary in baby form so he could put himself in a manger, but yet he who's always been put flesh on. He who is eternal now puts flesh on as an infant, as a baby. And goes through the whole pregnancy process. His goings forth are from long ago and from days of eternity. He came, but he has always been. How do you get that? He came, but he has always been. 700 years before we see this no room at the inn in Bethlehem. It was prophesied that there's going to be a child from eternity past and forever that's going to be born in Bethlehem. His going forth are from long ago in the days of eternity. Therefore, he will give them up till the time when she, that's a woman, speaking of Mary, who is in labor, has born a child. 
and then the remainder of his brethren, the return of the sons of Israel, he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain. Watch this, because at that time he will be great and to the ends of the earth, and this one will be our peace, a reference to Jesus. So you see that there is this plan that there will be this, this child who will be born in Bethlehem, and it's speaking in reference to Jesus. Like flip, flip a page, or uh, I'm sorry, go to, do, go to Luke chapter 2. I want you to see this, Luke chapter 2. And I want you to see the fulfillment of this. I want you to see where this, this was completed and this was fulfilled. We see it in Luke chapter 2. <clears throat> And in verse 1, it says this. Now, in those days, the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. That just means the Roman Empire. That's not talking about the whole world. That's talking about the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken while Quirinius, the governor, was in Syria. It gives a timeline. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family of David in order to register among Mary who was engaged to him and who was with, with child. So you see, okay, how is this going to take place? Bethlehem, too little to be, even of a tribe of Judah, you're this little speck, you're this little, this little dot. How is it that this child who's going to be great, who's going to be the savior, who's going to bring us peace, how is he going to be born in Bethlehem? And here you've got Joseph and Mary, they're engaged. They, they, they both are in this place called Nazareth, which is 70 miles away from Bethlehem. So how is this prophecy fulfilled 700 years later by two people who live 70 miles away in perfect timing of pregnancy, not to wait, not to hold off, not to give birth and then go because they couldn't. They had to show up and give a census to the place where their ancestors were. And this was of David. This is where David was a part of Bethlehem. All of this, all of these pieces have to come in in absolute, complete, perfect, 100% timing for a pregnant woman to give birth in Bethlehem. And this was his plan. Prophesied 700 years before. So the plan, God says, is 700 years. There's going to be this woman who's going to labor and give birth to a child. And this child is going to be born in Bethlehem. They didn't even live in Bethlehem. So this first time census had to take place. And the census took place for a military count, for those who are now of the age to join the military, and for taxes. So this first time event had to take place in order for what? To get Joseph, who is a descendant of David, and David's hometown is Bethlehem, the ancestry town of Bethlehem. So here you've got, you've got Joseph now traveling 70 miles with his very pregnant wife over all kind of terrain to get to this one particular spot to fulfill a prophecy that was given 700 years before this. If we just try to just wrap our heads around that for a minute, church, that's crazy. But it's true. But it's true. And if I can believe that, then I can look at Scripture and say, okay, um, I don't want to have any doubt when it comes to the Word of God. And that, that's just the plan. So if you would turn me, please, to Isaiah uh, chapter 7, please. Isaiah chapter 7. I want you to see the person. 
This person is celebrated. This person uh, is declared to be the favored one of God. This person uh, is, is, is well known because of the very season that we are in, the mother of Jesus, right? This is Mary, uh, the virgin Mary, like this person whom God knew from the foundations of the world that Mary was going to exist in this particular exact time and, and the Lord knew that it's going to be her. She's going to be the chosen one. This is, this is God Almighty. When we know that God is everywhere all at once, when we know that nothing is hard for the Lord, when we try to get that God is outside of time, when we try to understand this, we know that God knows all things. And you look at this in Isaiah 7, verse 14, a very famous verse during this time of year. Probably most churches will have this verse, will preach on this verse as we are. And it says this, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. A virgin will be with child. Could you imagine Isaiah penning this? <clears throat> Listening to the Lord as God is speaking to his man, his prophet, Isaiah. Listen, write it down. A virgin will give birth to a child. Uh, um, a what? A virgin will give birth to a child. Yeah, that, that's, that's impossible. You see, that can't happen. Could you imagine Isaiah just saying, yes, sir? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, and the behold is like that, that the, the, the trumpets are sounding. And this is the announcement to be made. A virgin will be with child. Get that. A virgin will be with a child. She will be pregnant with a child and bear a son. So here we've got the plan, a child, Bethlehem, amazing. And now we've got the person. We've got Mary, who's going to be a virgin, who's going to bear a son. And she already has the name. Emmanuel, which means God with us. So, so you see this and you look to this. Turn to Luke chapter 1, please. And I want, I want to unpack this as we, as we go 700 years to the future and we see what takes place in Luke chapter 1. We see this fulfillment 700 years advanced where God says through the, to the, pro, the, the Isaiah the prophet, he says, listen, this is the deal, right? Write it down. There's going to be a virgin one day and she's going to give birth to a son. And in this son, his name is going to be Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then we see that fulfillment 700 years later. Mary, just hanging out. Mary, betrothed to Joseph. Betrothal and engagement are deeper than our engagement. You actually, if you were betrothed to somebody, you literally had to go through a certificate of divorce to actually break that betrothal. They were not married yet. They were not physically together yet. Yet they were, they were, they made a, a, a type of vow, a betrothal vow to say, I will be with you. And they go through that process of a wedding and then they can come together uh, physically. So here they're in this betrothal. It's a big deal right? They have their life. Mary, anywhere between 12 and 16. That's the age. Get this. This is a teenage girl who's got her eyes set on Joseph. Joseph, probably many years older. That's the way that worked. He had his career, right? I think that's a great idea. Have your career, gentlemen, uh, before you get married. That's a plus. And then walk in a, in a way to say, listen, I, I'm a tradesman. I'm a carpenter, whether that was stone or wood. Mary's just juiced. She's just excited. I got my man. We live in Nazareth, which is this tiny little place. Nothing good. The Bible says when someone said Jesus from Nazareth, means he was born in Bethlehem, did his thing for a couple years, and then he went to Nazareth, and that's where they did their life. And everyone's like, there's nothing good from Nazareth. So here you've got Mary and Joseph in this rundown place just living their lives. And she's so excited. She's got her man. She's pumped about what's ahead. 
And all of a sudden, an angel shows up. And everything changes. Everything changes for this teenage girl. Not having any idea that 700 years before this moment, God said, this is how it's going to happen. And we serve a God who knows all things. Who handpicked Mary before the foundations of the world. To fulfill a prophecy that is 700 years old. Mary's just doing what she does. Verse 26 in Luke 1 says this. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he says to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. Could you imagine this? Mary, teenage girl, doing what she's doing, living her life, pumped about one day being married to Joseph, so excited about her future. Gabriel, who is an angel who has one of three names of angels, Gabriel, Michael, Lucifer, right, who we now know as Satan. So we, we see that Gabriel's a big deal. Gabriel is a big deal. Gabriel is that messenger angel. Gabriel shows up and he drops bombs on people, not literally, but verbally, to say this is about what's going to happen and it's going to be a rearranging of your whole world. And, and this angel, Gabriel, shows up and said, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement, kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. Verse 30, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb. Okay, that sounds good. Behold, I got favor from God. I'm going to conceive in my womb and you will bear a son and you shall name his name Jesus. His name is Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. Talks about the eternity of Jesus. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? Valid question. Okay, you're telling me uh, I'm going to conceive in my womb and I'm going give, to give birth to greatness. I'm going to give birth to like, how is that possible? I've never known a man. I've never known a man. I am pure. And then he drops even more, some depth. He's, the angel answered and says to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for this reason, I love this, for this reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth, who has conceived a son in her old age, watch this, and she was, she was called barren and is now in her sixth month for nothing will be impossible with God. So you've got Mary, She's just doing her thing. Gabriel shows up, drops this bomb. Yeah, hey, Mary, yeah, you're the one. Yeah, it's you. You're that girl. They knew Old Testament prophecy. You're the girl. You're the, but how is that even possible? I've never known a man. Oh, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And this is going to be the Son of God. Like, like, could you imagine the depth of what Mary is doing and taking this back? Yet all of this, all of this was prophesied 700 years before. You know, you know it's, not, it's not a big deal that children are born in Bethlehem. It's not a big deal that a child was born. The big deal in this story, the miracle in this story, is that a virgin gives birth. Never, ever been done before. It's been done once, and it will never, ever be done again. One time in all of history that a virgin who's never known a man gives birth to a son. That's huge. That's huge. 
to try to make up some crazy, crazy story that a virgin is going to give birth and he will be the son of God and you call his name Jesus for he will be God with us. It's crazy. But what happens when it's been proven to be true? What happens when you read this and you're like, okay, there's this girl. It's crazy. She's a virgin. She's going to give birth. Just that alone is just like, okay, that has to be of God. And next week, don't miss next week. Next week, I can't wait to preach next week. We preach the second half of this. What was it that convinced Mary? What was it that really, truly convinced this teenage girl? Ha! Whoo! Okay. I, I don't know what anyone else is going to think. I don't know what my parents are going to think. I don't know what my man is going to think. But I'm going to be pregnant. I love where Gabriel goes into this other side story of Elizabeth. Hey, your cousin or your relative, you know her old age? You know she's never had children? You know she couldn't have children? She's pregnant. Six months in. For nothing will be impossible with God. And then one of my favorite verses from a young teenage girl is, Behold, your bondservant, be it done to me according to your word. She's like, I'm convinced. I'm convinced. Church, what happens when you take the Old Testament Prophecy took place 700 years before this, and you read it in Luke 1 as a fulfillment of that prophecy. You look to this and say, okay, I'm starting to buy in. The evidence is clear. This is true. The evidence is clear. This is true. There's a huge difference between those who say, I can't believe in Jesus to the reality is, no, you just won't believe in Jesus. Because if you're looking at scripture, you're seeing, okay, this, this here from Old Testament, New Testament, based off of what God Almighty said from Isaiah 44, 46, and 48, that he's the only one that declares the end from the beginning. He's the one who says, I decree. I'm the one who will tell you what, th what things will happen. I'm going to tell you now, and they're going to be fulfilled 100% accuracy, 100% of the time. He has never missed. That is just evidence to say, okay, it is, church, it is my hope today that you walk out of this going, okay, I can believe this. I can believe that this is true. If God says he is for me, I believe it. If God says I can trust him, I will trust him. If God says in the midst of chaos and crazy, I can have peace, then I can have peace. This is what God says. I believe it. I trust that it's true. So the plan, 700 years, true. The person, 700 years, true. Now what about the purpose? The first two are just big. Like, they're just like, okay, wow, that's amazing. Bethlehem, even from Nazareth to get to Bethlehem, the whole census had to take place in the exact perfect timing of this girl giving birth while she's in Bethlehem. That's just amazing. Wow, to unpack that. 
amazing. And then there's this virgin girl like Mary who soaks up about life. Gabriel shows up crazy, changes everything in life. God knew all of this 700 years before. And then beyond that, from the foundations of the world, and here you've got Mary just going, okay, I'm in. I accept. Be it done to me according to your word. And then we see the whole purpose of this. We see the purpose begin to unfold. And we go to Isaiah chapter 54, 53, please. Isaiah chapter 53, please. And if you're a born again believer, you get it, man. You know the purpose. You know it already. Like, and you look at the plan and say, check. You look at the person and say, check. And then you look at the purpose. And I love this because if you are truly born again, if you know Jesus Christ came, put himself on a cross for you. The Bethlehem thing is cool. The virgin birth, amazing. Stunning. And it had to be a, a virgin girl. There couldn't be a seed of a man. Sin, the sin line comes in through the seed of a man. That's why it's so important for the virgin birth. It's huge in regards to the sin issue. But then there's the purpose. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody come to the Father but through me. Jesus is on the door, man. That's it. You come through me and me alone. Prophesied in the book of Isaiah 700 years before. And that's just the 700-year prophecy. You can go back to Genesis. Genesis 3.15 speaks of that seed of a woman. Right there, you have Mary and Jesus. Right in Genesis 3. This is after the fall. This is after sin. There had to be a solution to sin. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that. Of that. Jesus is the solution. He is the fulfillment of the issue for sin. And church, you and me are in an amazing place to say, I am a recipient of the response. Like, like the fulfillment of what took place. The fulfillment of the purpose was for me and my salvation. And we see it written down 700 years beforehand in Isaiah 53. Like you look at Isaiah 53. We talked about this even last week during communion. It says this. Verse, verse 4. I have a couple minutes. It says this. Surely our griefs he himself bore, our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastising of our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Here's the purpose. Here's the purpose. Here, don't miss it. Here's the purpose. 700 years before the cross, this is what took place. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. For he was oppressed and he was afflicted. He did not open his mouth like a lamb that led to slaughter. All of this is a part of those 300 prophecies. All of these are part of the big 60, but we're going to stick with just the, 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 the Christmas story. Verse 9 says this, His grave was assigned with wicked men, and yet he was with a rich man in his death. Talk about the rich man's tomb. Prophesied all through Scripture. Watch this. Because he had done no violence... 
and he was there, there, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Verse 10, but the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. For if he would render himself as a guilt offering, and he would see his offspring, and he would prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Verse 11 is huge. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and he will be satisfied. And by the knowledge of the, the righteous one, here it is, my servant will justify the many and he will bear their iniquities. My servant, whom is Jesus, will justify the many and he will bear their iniquities. In verse 12, it says this, yet he himself bore the sins of many. And then you go to Matthew 1, please. Matthew chapter 1, and you see the other player in this, and you see Joseph. Well, church, we believe that they certainly had the knowledge of the Old Testament. This is things that were being read and spoken in, in, in church as they would have church of their day through the temple and different synagogues and different things and the, the priests and the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, and they would go back and they would read See, so here you got to try to see this other player and you put your, yourself in Joseph's shoes and, and there is this truth from Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53. Isaiah 52 says that he was unrecognizable as a human being. There was one who will hang on a cross 700 years from now that you won't even be recognizing him as, as a human. You won't recognize him as a man. And Isaiah 53 goes into some deep detail of how this is going to unfold. that the whole purpose of this is that he will save many from their sins. There has to be a blood sacrifice. There has to be an atonement. There has to be a way to redeem. And then we see this in Matthew 1 where this amazing character named Joseph, and we pick it up in verse 19, it says this. Verse 18, it says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child and by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, I love this, planned to send her away secretly. Like here, could you imagine Joseph? He gets the news. Like, okay, this, this young girl that I love, and we know that he loved her. We know that he, he understood her value. He understood marriage in the place of honor. He was a man who was righteous. He was a man who feared the Lord. He was a man who wanted to do things right according to what God said is right. This is this guy, Joseph. Joseph was a good man. Joseph feared the Lord. Joseph walked in a way that was right. Joseph understood how to, how to truly treat a woman. This was Joseph. Like, because rightfully so, if, if the one who was betrothed to you went and fooled around on you, you could literally take her to the center of the square and have her stoned. That was legal. That was legal, right? He could have taken a center. He could have been so outraged. Man, I, I had a life for you. You and me were together. You cheated on me. You're a player. I'm going to do what I have the right to do and put you in the center of the square and have you stoned publicly. I could do that. But we see where there's a different Joseph here. He says, no, 
I am broken. And I'm disappointed. You, you see this in the way that he handled this. He wasn't like, oh, that's fine, honey. High five. We'll be fine. No, he's like, I can't, I can't be with you. But I'm not going to publicly shame you. I'm not going to put you in the middle to scorn you and kill you. No, I'm going to honor you because I had this honor for you and I know your value and I'm going to secretly just kind of put you to the side and not make a public spectacle of you. That's honor. That's a man who's bummed because he had a future with this woman. That's a man who knows what it is to honor a woman even when he really had the right mind to think that she really played on him. Again, Joseph wasn't aware that 700 years before this, God says, I've got a plan. Before the foundations of the world, God knew there will be a man who will be betrothed to this woman. And he's my pick. Joseph didn't know that. Joseph didn't know the 700-year plan that he's that guy. I mean, you could just see him saying, Mary, I, I love you. And I was so excited for us. But we can't be together. I'm not going to shame you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to put you rightfully in the middle of the crowd. I don't want to disgrace you. But I can't be with you. That is his right mindset. Until. Verse 20 says this, man, it changes everything. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Joseph, this is the purpose. This is the reason. You need to take her as your wife. Because this child that's been conceived in her, this is of God. And this child that's going to be born, he's the Savior of the world. could imagine how when I just see Mary and Joseph coming together and, and, and getting into Old Testament or going to the synagogue and like just flipping pages going oh whoo what is that oh my, oh man like this is this is real because it says right here look at this now this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet now this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the how do I know that this is true because this has now been fulfilled. The plan, 
the person, the purpose. This is all coming through. All of this, which God declared 700 years before Mary or Joseph was ever even a thought, obviously. God knew it all, tied it all together. Has it got the perfect timing? I know every detail that has to come together. I know every person that's outside that needs to make the right decision that this has to happen. God knew all of that. Census had to happen. Somebody outside of Christ, outside of truth, we're, we're walking in the truth, had to make a decision to call a census in order to make this happen. It's amazing to me that God has everything under control. Even the smallest detail of something that has to happen. And I love this for me. I'm like, God, you're working in such a way behind the scenes that there might be a divine appointment. There might be something. There might be a U-turn that has to take place. Maybe there's something that I look and say, ah, man, I wish that didn't happen. That had to happen because, God, you know it all. I love this. I love this. This had to be fulfilled of what the Lord spoke through his prophet. You start thinking, God, you are in the smallest of details. God, I trust you. God, I believe in you. God, you're with me. And I love it because Matthew goes right into the Old Testament. He says this, behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son. Some say, oh, they didn't know the Old Testament. Really, because Matthew here is quoting it so that we would know that they knew. They knew the Old Testament. Matthew's quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting Isaiah 7, 14. He's given us the goods. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. This is the way it has to happen. And you could imagine Joseph, now he has it. He says, okay, he woke up and he took Mary, his wife, and he kept her a virgin. Like he knows, like, okay, this has to be a reality. I got to keep it clean. There's no way we're going to be together until this child is born. And then you go through this whole process of putting yourself in Joseph's shoes. Oh, okay. Okay. This is like, wow, this is like, Whoa, this is the son of God. Like this is, he is the savior of the world. Like this, this is like, oh my, like, could you imagine Joseph? Like Joseph never had to discipline him, but Joseph had to teach and train him. Mary and Joseph had to feed him. Mary and Joseph had to burp him. Mary and Joseph had to change his diaper, so to speak, probably cloth or whatever, leaves or whatever they used. I don't know. Don't use leaves. Um, Joseph, this is sinking in going, wow, I'm that guy. I'm not the father, but I'm the one who's called to teach and train and I get to work with, with Jesus and I get to build him up and I get to teach him carpentry work and I get to teach him with his hands and I get to show him what it is to, to work with stone or work with wood. I'm that guy. know the whole story. We know that Joseph isn't at the picture at the cross. Sometime after Jesus was 12, we know Joseph was around when he was 12. The whole temple scene. 
But after that, Joseph's not mentioned, and we know that at the cross, Jesus gives Mary, his mother, to uh, care of John, to take care of God. That means Joseph wasn't there. So something happened to Joseph. You got to believe that Joseph went back to Isaiah and was reading Isaiah 52 and reading Isaiah 53 and reading these accounts of what does this mean? That he will save his people from their sin. That he is the solution to sin. This is his purpose. He's going to hang on a cross and, and it won't be recognized as a human. He's going to go through all of this beating and all of this punishment. And to know all of this and to build Jesus in all of this and then not be around for the fulfillment of what took place on the cross. John chapter 19, we truly see the purpose fulfilled. The angel says, Joseph, listen, he's going to save his people from their sins. Joseph knew sacrifice. He knew it was going to happen. He knew how it was going to happen. But he wasn't there when it happened. 700 years later you've got Jesus on a cross he's gone through all of his punishment God the father has turned his back on his son he cries out my God my God why have you forsaken me they offer him a sponge of vinegar comes to a point on that cross to just simply say, it is finished. It is accomplished. Sins have been atoned for. I have come and I have fulfilled my purpose. It is finished. And he gave up his spirit and he died. what does this mean when you can say ah this is true this is historical fact there was a census that's history there's one who was born there's history there was one who died on a cross that's fact that's history all of it all of it spoken 700 years that were written down indisputable evidence it's truth You can choose to stiff arm that. Say, ah, can't believe it. That's just, that's just not right. You choose not to believe it. That's on you. But it's true. It's true. It's proven to be true. Based off the accuracy of things the Lord said 700 plus years before it happened. It's truly amazing. Come on, just by your heads just for a moment, please. Come on, where are you in this today? Because I want you to know, listen, if you don't know Christ, 
Maybe you've stiff-armed Jesus. Maybe you've done it your own way. Maybe you've tried your thing. But man, today I want you to be convinced that this is true. The Bible is true. His word is true. 100% accurate. I want you to know this, that God loves you. He desperately loves you. That's true. He sent his son to down the cross for you. That's true. He raised his son from the dead to conquer death, hell, and the grave. That is true. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father today. All for you to come to know him because he loves you. If you don't know Jesus today, I want you to know the Bible is accurate. And you come to him on his terms. I repent from my sin. I acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord. My hope and my trust is found nowhere else except for Jesus and Jesus alone. Anything outside of that is a lie. I believe in Jesus. I trust that Jesus is the answer. Jesus himself said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to the Father but through me. That's it. I have to believe that. If you don't know Christ today, man, I encourage you, come to know him on his terms. God loves you. Sin broke fellowship with the Father. Sin broke fellowship with God. Jesus had to come to fulfill the purpose, and that is to save us from our sins as a sacrificial lamb, put himself on a cross for you and me. But it's on us to repent. It's on us to turn and acknowledge our sin. That was what the breaking happened because of sin. I acknowledge my sin. Man, I repent and turn from my sin. I acknowledge Jesus. You're it. I trust in you. And then I come to confess you are Lord of my life. I surrender. Man, if you're in this place today, I encourage you just in your spirit right now and in your heart, say, Lord, forgive me. I don't know you. And I chose not to know you. I chose to stiff arm this. But today it's different. I believe your word is true. Forgive me. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. I confess that you are my Lord. I'm all in. I surrender. I mean, with heads bowed, I want you to know something. The Bible is fully true which means if you stiff-arm Jesus and you stiff-arm truth, and the reality is this, after death comes judgment. And I promise you this, if you don't know Jesus, despite your good feelings and despite all the lies out there, if you don't know Jesus Christ at your time of death, there is judgment. And there will be, there has to be eternal punishment. As much as I believe the Bible is true in my eternal life and my eternal security with Jesus because of the work of the cross, I believe that. I also have to believe for those who ignore and for those who stiff arm, for those who say no to the truth of God's word, that God loves you and you want to stiff arm that and just live your life, then there's also punishment for that. You'll be eternally separate from God in hell. That's, if I believe one, I have to believe the other. I don't get my smorgasbord, man. I don't, I, don't get, I don't get to pick and choose what I want out of Scripture. Now, if you're also in this place and you're like, Sean, I, I need to trust the Word. When, when He says that He will never leave me, I have to believe that. When He says that if I ask Him for forgiveness, 
even as a Christian, even as a son or daughter, that he's going to forgive me. I, I have to, I, if I see it in scripture, that man, I, I can walk in this hope and I can walk in this peace and I can have this confidence because of who he is and his faithfulness and his confidence because I, I, can, I can be strong in my heart and I can be strong in my spirit and I can be strong and courageous and man, and my hope can be towards him in the midst of chaos, in the midst of crazy, in the midst of all of what's going on. I don't have to walk by doubt. No, I can trust that his word is true, that if I draw near to him, he will draw near to me. Man, if I resist the the enemy, he will flee from me. That I don't have to walk in temptation. For God will not allow me to walk in such a way, to be tempted in such a way, that I'm not able to walk and clear of that temptation. No, I know that I can walk in a way that I will be filled with joy in the midst of chaos. I can have peace in my soul in the midst of chaos. I know that why? Because the Bible says I can and I trust that it's true. I know never alone. Even when I don't feel it, I know that I'm never alone. Even when I'm struggling to see the plan that God has for me, from the foundations of the world, God has my plan. And I need to trust him with it. I need to trust him with it. I don't see it right now. Maybe he's got you on what you would think is a U-turn. Maybe he's got you in a place that you were unexpected. Think about Mary. Think about Joseph. Think about the census. All of these things, unexpected. But had to happen to fulfill the plan that God has. smallest of details. God has it. Church, you can trust him today. Please hear me. You can trust him today. Don't trust in man. That'll get you a snare. That will trap you if you trust in man. But when you trust in God, trust him today. He will see you through. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will draw near to you. Stand and fight and be firm and be immovable. You can trust him today. Come on, let's stand to our feet, please. And I really hope that you just heard this today. And next week, man, we look at Mary and that which is impossible, that we serve a God of the impossible. And I hope next week we're convinced of that. But today, man, if you need prayer for any reason, man, as we sing, we'd love to pray over you.